the way that I wrote the book is to make it like a journal so they can write in it because as same for you guys, I know you think reflections are very important. And that's, I think, a big part of my course as well, is I want them always reflecting on where they're at, what they know, what they need to know, and all that. So they can kind of journal as we're going through that beginning stuff. And I think that really gets them in the right mindset and it prepares them so that when we do get to the proofs, Hey, 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 Math Moment Makers. Today, we speak with university professor, author, and former Making Math Moments That Matter online workshop participant, Alana Reiser. Alana joins us today to chat about how we can leverage curiosity to engage students in solving abstract mathematics, and in particular, mathematical proofs. Yeah, join us for a great conversation with Alana, where we discuss her initial hesitation to get into mathematics education and where it has taken her to advocate for the inclusion of a course on mathematical proofs, which has now grown to be a compulsory credit for all math students. All right, my friends, hang out with us for a little bit. Here we go. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are from makingmathmoments.com. And together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense making, and ignite your teacher moves. Friends, we are so excited to bring in a former, we're going to call mm-hmm. former colleague who joined us in a online workshop. Actually, it was our first yeah. online workshop that we had run, and it was a pleasure to learn alongside Alana. And today, we're really excited to be able to bring her into the podcast community to share her voice and her learning around teaching at uh, the post-secondary level. We're recording this after the interview, but we did chat with Alana, very our very first interview ever on video, Kyle. It was before mm-hmm. our podcast. 2018 was when we first ran our first iteration, first cohort of the online workshop way back then. Since then, I think we've run, oof, I don't know, six? Gotta be six, yeah. Six to seven cohorts of that course. You know, we've had, oh, I think... 1,500 students, teachers through that program. Anyway, Ilana was one of the first, and it is great to re-chat with her three years later on where she is on her journey, and she's been putting so much of that learning into place and uh, helping students along the way. So let's get to it. Here we go. Here we go. Hey, hey there, Ilana. Thanks for joining us here on the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. It feels like just yesterday, uh, the last time uh, John and I hopped on a Zoom call just like this. But when we actually looked back at our records, it was actually over three years ago when we were chatting actually, with you. How long? Yeah, John? I think it was in December of 2018. I'm pretty sure because 
we're stealing her thunder right now, but it's like Alana <laughs> joined us for one of the first cohorts of the Making Math Moments workshop. We chatted with her after that session was to get feedback to help it improve for the next run through. And that was three years ago. And we would have ended that course in December 2018. Well, Alana, welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. It's been three years in the making. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. <laughs> You know, I feel like John and I know a lot about you, but the people who are listening at home in the podcast, or maybe some people watching this on YouTube, you can see all our faces on YouTube right now. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you coming to us from? How long you've been teaching? And like, give us, I guess, a bit of the backstory. What lands you in this crazy mm-hmm. world of mm-hmm. math education? Sure. So I'm coming from Long Island, New York, and I've been teaching. I want to say about 19 years, so for quite a while, (laughs) but doesn't feel that long. (laughs) So the way that I actually got started going into college, I always knew I wanted to be a math major. That was like no question, Mm -hmm. but I was adamant that I was not going to be a teacher. And the the main (laughs) reason is because I'm just like a very shy person. (laughs) I'm such an introvert and I'm like, I can't handle being in front of a class. (laughs) Right. So my junior year, one of my professors said, oh, do you want a TA for calculus? And at first I'm just like, no. But then I sat and and thought about it for a little bit. I talked with some friends and I was like, you know what? I'd like to challenge myself. It makes me uncomfortable, but let me give it a shot. I'm interested. Mm -hmm. So luckily it was still available and I was a TA. They also had us work in like the the math help center. And I just loved the tutoring and being the TA. So at that point, I just changed my mind. I'm like, yes. I'm going to be a teacher. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. I, I was curious about that because I know that prior to coming on, you had mentioned that in one of the emails about how that was not your original plan. I was actually really curious. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense, right? That you have to actually get yourself mm-hmm. up in front of a group of people. You have to be, we use the word vulnerable a lot. Like you have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be able to do that. And even just listening to that story about the TA situation, I feel like that says a lot about who you are as a person in terms of just being a little bit more open to not just shutting and mm-hmm. slamming the door. You know, you had shut the mm-hmm. door initially, but then you actually did give it some thought and look at where you are now. So that yeah. is fantastic yeah. to see that <laughs> you kept that door open for yourself. I just became insanely curious when we just started chatting about this with your pivot to teaching. Like, I know that you are a post-secondary instructor and I'm a high school teacher. And I think I'm a lot like you where I've always been kind of an introvert and I ended up being a teacher as well. And I know that my friends, other than Kyle, (laughs) Kyle's very much an extrovert, but my friends that I teach with, you know, my colleagues, math teachers, I find them also very much introverted, but they are, again, there are teachers. I'm wondering about your journey there on the sense of what was that kind of pivot? Like, was that an easy pivot for you to stand in front of everyone? Was that tough? Was there like a learning curve there? And it was just became comfortable. I'm curious to hear just that side of things, just because it's making me curious. Well, I think the opportunity to be a teaching assistant and to tutor rather than me being like the one responsible for a whole class Mm -hmm. was very helpful because I didn't obviously have to plan the course. I just did what was told of me, but I did run my own section. So I got like just a little taste of what teaching would be like. And the same with tutoring. Like I didn't feel like put on the spot because I was just with a single person. So I think it was just like a gentle introduction to teaching that kind of made me interested. 
And then as I got more comfortable, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. It's not a problem. And then I think the next year I was a teaching assistant for a pre-calc class where I was actually like the professor, like I ran the whole course. Awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like it was almost like a little bit of a nice gradual intro into that world, which I think is probably a really helpful piece, right? Because if you didn't have that opportunity, you'd probably be looking at it and thinking about teaching a full section on your own and maybe thinking like that's way too far of a leap. So you had a little bit of a bridge to get there. So before we move on, we're really curious about a lot of things, but we don't want to go too, too deep until you tell us a little bit more about what are you doing now? What is your role? Where are you teaching? And give us a little bit more of that backstory before we dive into a few of the details. Sure. So as I said, I'm on Long Island. So I teach at a private college called St. Joseph's College, which is in Patchogue. And so I'm in the math department, but I'm also the, I run the master's program for math education. Mm. So I kind of straddle between math and education and I teach both types of courses. And I kind of teach basically anything that's thrown at me. So uh, <laughs> uh, like next semester, I'm teaching calculus. I've taught pre-calc. I've taught linear algebra. I've taught problem stats. And then some of the graduate education courses as well. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that. You know, we wouldn't be doing our job here if we didn't ask you what your math moment is or was, or when you think <laughs> about math class, usually people are, are kind of stretched back to when they were younger, but it doesn't have to be that. So when we say math class, Alana, what is coming to mind? Share a math moment for us. So I'm going to share when I was in my freshman year of college. So up through high school, like I was always really good at math. It came easy to me. And as I realized now, I was a very good memorizer. Hmm. I followed the rules. Even outside of math, I'm a rule follower. So that was good for me. But I feel like no teacher really explained the concepts, but also nor was I interested in understanding the concepts. Right. Yeah, I can relate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so come freshman year, second semester, I take an intro to proofs course which is kind of the divide between thinking of math as a computational subject versus a theoretical subject. And I just remember sitting in that class, having no idea what the professor was talking about, completely lost. And I just felt like such a fraud. I was like, am I supposed to be a math major? Like, this is not making sense. What is going on? I don't even know what math is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's my moment. <laughs> I love it. I feel like there's so many people that can relate. We've said it a billion times before. John and I were both memorizers. We felt safe in that place. Like nobody really asked us why things worked. So like we sort of got away with it that all we had to do was make sure that we could spit out some answers and we were good. Like we had the free pass. And I think when you realize that after some time, it really does make you think a little differently about how, especially in education, how you want to help more students to see and understand the mathematics. So we asked this a lot more recently about your math moment. How does that influence what you do in the classroom when you're teaching your students? Does it influence at all what you do or how you plan and deliver your lessons? Or is that something that you've got kind of tucked away and you don't think about a whole lot? No, it definitely influences my teaching. Anytime I think back on that, I remember what it's like to feel as a student who's lost, not understanding what's going on. And I can kind of put myself in my student's shoes and 
help them navigate and figure out how to best to get them towards understanding. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. I'd like to kind of keep moving things along here. And I know that you've been doing lots of work in this proofs course and, and that being such an important aspect of your math moment. But I know that when you joined us for our first cohort of the Making Math Moments That Matter online workshop, you joined us, you went through all of the learning there. We chatted with you afterwards. I know from our communications through email, but also in other places that you were thinking of taking that proofs course or some of the courses you're teaching at a higher level in inserting the elements of the Making Math Moments That Matter three-part framework. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on like what you've learned from the workshop and how you're using it to kind of push this proofs course and get like a university level course thinking about math pedagogy instead of this kind of university, like we don't really think about pedagogy. (laughs) I will answer your question, but I want to like back it up a little bit and give a little bit of background about the development of the course first. Yeah, for sure. So when I came to my school, we actually didn't have an intro to proofs course, which I thought was insane. So I kind of had to push for that. First, I was like, oh, let me make it one credit course. So they're like, okay. Then a couple of years later, I'm like, can we just change it to two credits? And they're like, okay. Eventually I got it three credits, which is what our courses typically are. And then a few years later, eventually I got it as a required course for all of our majors. Oh, nice. (laughs) So that was a slow Mm -hmm. process. So now we have this course and what I was noticing is just, I didn't have the term at that point, but the lack of productive struggle Hmm. that students would look at a proof, maybe give like one shot. It didn't work. And they'd be like, "Ah, I don't know how to do it and give up. So I've been struggling for a long time. How do I get them to go through that struggle? And then one summer I took Joe Bowler's online workshop and that just like totally clicked. I was like, yes, they need to have a growth mindset. That's what I'm missing. (laughs) Right. So since then, I've been gradually trying to introduce different things to get them have the growth mindset. And that was what kind of led me to taking your workshop. I'm always trying to learn, always trying to get better. So I'm always taking workshops, going to conferences, stuff like that. So from your workshop, yes. So in our conversation that we had after that, one of the questions I asked was, because I was teaching the proof course that next semester. And I was like, I want to use a lot of these ideas, but I don't feel like they were for theoretical type courses. Like, what can I do? And I actually remember in that conversation, I believe it was John, you said, 
you just want to spark their curiosity, just make them curious. And that kind of stuck with me. And that was kind of like the driving force for how do I start to make these changes is I just wanted to get that curiosity in there. Mm -hmm. So the way that I kind of structure the course now, and I did, I wrote a textbook that follows this format as well. So the course in the beginning, like we don't even talk about proofs until like a third of the way into the semester. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So first I teach them about a growth mindset, like what it is. And we go through exercises I teach them like why it's important to struggle. We do a little bit of the math background, which is logic and problem solving and stuff like that. But the way that I wrote the book is to make it like a journal so they can write in it because Mm. as same for you guys, I know you think reflections are very important. And that's, I think, a big part of my course as well is I want them always reflecting on where they're at, what they know, what they need to know and all that. So they can kind of journal as we're going through that beginning stuff. And I think that really gets them in the right mindset and it prepares them so that when we do get to the proofs, they are much more able to sit there and struggle through it. And I've seen it just in like, because I've been teaching it every semester, the last couple of semesters, I've seen them work like they don't give up. It's just been amazing. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. It's funny because. When you describe, you know, these are university or college students who are taking this course, giving it, we'll call it maybe a week go, right? <laughs> Initially, they give it this, like, ah, I'll, I'll try. And then they give up. And I feel like everyone listening, regardless of the grade level they're teaching, sees that, right? Whether it's a student mm-hmm. in grade two who gives up on a word problem or a student in grade seven who gives up on a problem that feels like it might be a little bit too difficult all the way into now you're in post-secondary where students still have this same, I don't want to say inability because it's like everybody has the ability to struggle, but it's almost like this, I would say reluctance to (laughs) struggle, like reluctance to put themselves in a situation where they don't know the answer. And to me, that just rings the alarm bells that it's likely that these students have sort of been going through much like we all went through school where things sort of came easy to us, right? Like we Mm -hmm. either picked up on the pattern very quickly or we memorized it or whatever it was that got them to that point. And it's almost like they just don't know how to handle this struggle. So I really like this idea that you're setting them up getting them prepared, thinking about like, what is a growth mindset, getting them to almost like get comfortable with the struggle and then Mm -hmm. leading into a concept that I'm going to be honest and say, proofs aren't always like the most exciting math concept. That's not where people are typically starting, right, John? I completely agree. Even though I always loved the proof side of mathematics, even in high school, I That was one of my loves of mathematics. And maybe that's what drew me to that subject other than to say the computational, because I agree with Alana when she said, you know, like most of us or I viewed math as computational until you see proofs. And it's kind of like all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is mathematics, right? And I want to jump back to what you were talking about with your sparking curiosity or bringing curiosity into your proof course. And I know that Mm -hmm. you've learned lots along the way about how to do that. But I know a lot of teachers listening right now to this podcast are dabbling in that area, right? Like we've got people who are like, I'm all in, I'm just getting started. I've started, but I'm trying to work out bugs and the details. 
Alana, I wonder if you have any kind of tips or suggestions, like if you've implemented this in something that's so abstract, maybe give us an example of like, how did you do that with say some proofs course? I know you might even talk about some proofs if that helps you kind of give examples, but also maybe like, what's an important aspect of bringing curiosity when you're designing lessons? So I think that the main part I bring the curiosity in is when we go over definitions. I use number theory as the way to teach proofs just because I feel like it has stuff that people are familiar with, like even mm-hmm. in odd numbers, rational right. numbers. They've at least heard of that stuff before. So when we get definitions for each of those, I use a lot of the structures that like high school and middle school teachers are using. Before we get to the proof section, one thing we do is I took this from Sarah Vanderwerp. She has an activity about thinking like a mathematician mm-hmm. on her blog. And so I go through that and that's with pattern recognition, but I kind of show them the steps of this is how mathematicians think. I'll give you an example with even and odd numbers. So I don't just give them a definition. So for even numbers, I would just put up a list of even numbers and I would say like, what do you notice? What pattern do you see? How can you generalize that pattern? Maybe they won't have it in the perfect form. So I'll take their idea. They'll Eventually they'll say, oh, it's two times an integer. And then I'll just write the definition like a little bit more formally, but using their idea. Then for odd numbers, so I will have the even list and then I'll put the odd numbers right under. And I'll say like, what do you notice between these two lists? So eventually they'll notice, oh, if I just add one to an even number, I get to an odd number. And then we can use our definition for even numbers, which was two times an integer plus one. That'll give us our definition for odd numbers. Mm -hmm. So just kind of things like that with the definitions, I feel like it's helpful where they're sort of coming up with the definitions rather than me giving it to them. Another example, like with rational numbers, I'll do like a which one doesn't belong and I'll put up different forms of rational numbers or irrational and they'll have to discuss that. I like it because... A couple things like you're bringing in the student voice again, which I think is a theme that we're constantly talking about, right? Mm -hmm. When you're sharing your own thoughts and you're seeing those thoughts being respected and leveraged and you know where you want to go, like Lana, you've got it all worked out and here's the path we're going to go down. But it's like that hook when students are sharing their thinking and you're showing that you value their thinking and bringing it to the forefront, it's like a natural hook. It hooks you in and it wants you to keep going deeper with that. I think that's so key. And the other theme I'm hearing here, which again, links back to curiosity at all grade levels, whether it's more abstract concepts like in proofs or whether it's something like very early on in elementary math is the idea that asking good questions asking people to think. And when Mm -hmm. I go back and I think about the struggle you had highlighted where students would start a problem and not finish it, John and I are constantly talking about like, how do we get students to start problems and stick with them? Well, by asking more questions more often, right? If we're just constantly asking our students to do the thinking, it becomes a habit without them realizing Mm -hmm. it. And I'm sort of seeing this theme emerge for you. So I'm wondering, like, when you get into the actual proofs, are you feeling like all of this lead up with mindset, with you had mentioned about problem solving and helping students sort of like build this productive struggle mentality? Like, are you feeling like all that groundwork sort of like makes it just easier to introduce the proofs? Or are you introducing the idea of proofs 
in some other way as well? Or is there an aspect there that you're doing now differently than when you had done previously when you first started teaching? Yeah, definitely. I also developed just like a framework for them to follow. So it says, what do you know? Like what's given? So they have to put it in a, I call it a usable form, meaning like Mm -hmm. apply a definition if you need to. Then what are you trying to prove? Again, put it in a usable form. What proof method could you use? And then do some examples with numbers plugged in, just because usually that helps you understand the proof a little bit better when you're looking at examples. And then I have like on the bottom, a little place for them to doodle where they could just like try things out. They probably hear me say this almost every class. It's okay if you don't get it right the first time, just keep trying, try again, you'll get it. So they just kind of share anything they want. And then there's like a box for where they write their final proof. So I feel like at least they can get like the beginning steps. So at least they're not sitting there just thinking like, I have no idea how to get started. So I feel like that framework has helped a little bit. One thing I really like that I've found on the YouTube site, there's an interview with Steve Strogatz. And in that video, he talks about a time when he didn't understand a math problem. And he's like, oh, I felt so embarrassed. Like, And he's like a world-class mathematician, you know? So right. to hear him talk about how he couldn't do something, I just feel like it helped me when I heard it. But I think it helps the students too, just to hear, like, I just really try to get across that nobody is born like a proofs person. Like, I didn't just pop out and be like, oh, I know how to do proofs. So it's the same like in younger years, you know, they say you're not a math person or here I say you're not just a proofs person. I think what also is kind of hurtful is if they have seen proofs in an earlier course, the person who's presenting the proof like already knows how the proof works, has already seen it done, probably memorized it, and they just present it. And students like begin to think, oh, this is how a proof should be. I should look at it automatically know what the method to use, know how to do it, and it should just pop out. True. So Mm. I always try to share, and even with other things, I always try to be transparent. Like, here's whatever teaching method I'm using. So I try to say, this is the reason why I'm using it. And so anytime I do this, like we have a discussion about the homework, we have a discussion about the quizzes, Anything I do in class, I'm like, there's a research-based reason behind what I'm doing and I'm going to share it with you. Mm, Right. So I feel like just that is also helpful because they know I'm on their side. I'm doing this for them. So they don't feel like, oh, this is just work to do work, you know? (laughs) Right. How are, are your students responding to these changes? Like I'm imagining like proofs can't be the most fun course to ever take in class, especially now, (laughs) even though you think it is, and I think it is, and now it's a requirement for all of your students. We deal with this in our high school classes all the time, right? Like it's a requirement to take math. We constantly are teaching. That's primarily our job is to teach math to kids who do not want to take math. And that's partly why we've implemented the three-part framework is to kind of like get kids to enjoy math so that they can learn with it and learn from it. How are you seeing the kids the students kind of respond to these changes. Are you seeing some of that change to the concept of proofs or the class? I don't know if you want to comment on that. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing changes. See, my students are a little different because for the most part, they're all math majors. So like they have chosen math. 
Right. <laughs> so it's not like high school where you're kind of stuck with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do feel like I don't hear I hate proofs or right. I can't do proofs. I don't hear that anymore, which is really nice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sometimes too, you know, we've mentioned it before. It's like one of the greatest compliments I feel as a math teacher is when the bell goes and students sort of say like, wow, that went by fast or something. (laughs) It's not like them turning to you and being like, this was the best class I've ever been to. (laughs) There's just this general enjoyment, right? Like there's just a general positivity or a positive vibe in the air, right? Which is huge. So You've shared a lot there, Alana, with your journey coming from your experience of feeling introverted and not wanting to be a teacher and then sort of landing in this place and realizing like, this is exactly where you want to be. And you've gone from teaching, essentially, can I say like almost begging to teach this course and (laughs) Maybe once that happened, you were probably like, oh, geez, what have I gotten myself into? Like it's proofs and students aren't really enjoying this process a whole lot. And then yet now you're in this place where you're actually making a difference for those students in really building the confidence that they can work through hard problems. And it has led you to actually writing a book. And we want to dive in a little bit with this book. So I think we have a little bit of the backstory as to why you wanted to write this book. I'm wondering if we were to dive in here, if someone was thinking and they're going, wow, I can relate to this experience that Alana's sharing. Maybe it's with proofs. Maybe it's with some other math concept. What are people going to get? Like, who did you write the book for? And what are you hoping that the reader is going to walk away with when they pick up that book and they take a deep dive in there with you? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple months, maybe even a couple years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. So essentially, it's really just written to be a textbook for anyone who's teaching an intro to poops course out of college. So that would be the main audience. I suppose maybe if like a high school student or somebody who just wanted to self-study, they could also pick it up as well. But it kind of mirrors the way that I teach the course. Now, unfortunately, every time I teach the course, I teach it differently because I'm always learning new things. Mm-hmm. So by the time the book came out, I was already like teaching things differently. <laughs> yeah. That's but it kind of puts in a lot of the things that I do. It gives you a lot of information. It has the homework problems to do and all that. So it's really meant to be like a textbook. Awesome. So, and it sounds too like what you're advocating for is, you know, if someone picks this up and they're using it either to self-study, like you had mentioned, which might be more of like, well, we'll say like a more rare case to someone who's teaching a proofs course and they're looking at it as like a guide. It sounds like what you're saying is it's not meant to necessarily be like, this is the way to do it, but more or less, here's a structure. Here's what it might look and sound like. And then obviously, educators are left to their own devices to 
sort of add, subtract, rearrange, and maybe implement it how they see fit. Yeah, definitely. And I do in like the introduction, I do actually mention basically exactly what you just said. I share some of the teaching ideas. I say, this is like what I do in my course, but feel free to pick and choose what you like or add the way that you want to teach it. But it does have so that students can, I think one problem also with math textbooks in college level is students can't really understand them so well, like they're written at a very high level. So this book, I think, is very understandable. So it has a lot of examples infused in it. So it's really meant for the students. You could say like read chapter one or and in the chapter there's exercises. So the professor could choose to do those exercises in class, which I sometimes do. Or you could say, read this chapter and just write in the exercises for the homework or something like that. Alana, you've done a ton of learning along the way to be able to write a book. Like I'm in awe of people who could write a book because, you know, you've done so much learning, you've done so much practice to kind of bring that expertise out into the public, into the public domain. That is amazing. I'm wondering with all of that learning that you've been doing from your teaching practice to your writing the book and, and all the other things that you've done, if there was a piece of learning that you felt like is the most valuable, well, maybe like a big tip for a teacher. So it's like a teacher for proofs, but it could be a teacher for any math subject from high school all the way to elementary school. Like I think teaching is in general, lots of great practices. So I would say like, what's your biggest takeaway for the listener right now? Like, what would you want them to go? Hey, this is the most important thing I've learned along the way. And I want to make sure that you know it. Well, I think right now, the I would say read the thinking classroom because that is like the best book on math I've ever read. <laughs> it's well-written and it completely changed the way I wanted to teach. So I hadn't mentioned, but I do use some of those techniques in this course as well. We do use the visible non-permanent surfaces. I have the students stand up at the end when they're working on groups on their own. And I do the visibly random grouping just to build the classroom culture. So I do use some of those aspects. I don't do it fully just because I don't feel like it fully fits with this type of course, but I do as much as I can. That was where I learned a lot by reading that book. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And you know, we must agree. We reference Peter's work so much and it is so applicable to so many different grade levels, so many different we'll say concepts or levels of mathematics and obviously well into post-secondary as well. I would argue the more adult-like you are, the better those strategies work, right? To get people up and collaborating and working together and thinking, which I know is happening in your classroom with proofs. Alana, you have shared so much awesomeness with us tonight. And as well, you have an amazing resource, which we will share in the show notes, the science of learning mathematical proofs. We will share that for those who are interested in checking it out. I'm wondering any last words, any places people can find you, get in contact with you before we sign off for the night. So I think for last words, I would say to just always keep challenging yourself, always keep growing as a teacher. Don't be afraid to try new things and just be honest with your students. Share when you have struggled. Don't pretend to be perfect. Like they'll be better off if they know that you had trouble doing something. In terms of getting in contact, I know everybody is using Twitter, but I am not really on Twitter. (laughs) But I am on Facebook. 
So I am in your group. I'm in a few other bath groups. And I did also put together a website to kind of go along with the book. So that's scienceofproofs.com. So I put a lot of information. So I put like some teaching ideas that I do that weren't in the book. I added there and a few other pieces of information. Awesome. And it has my email address on that site if you want to email. Awesome stuff. We'll toss that in the show notes with all the other resources that you've mentioned and we've mentioned along the way in this discussion. So Alana, we want to thank you so much for joining us here. And I know the listeners get so much value from hearing you speak and, and also all the other guests, but uh, thanks so much. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you soon. Thanks. Have a great night. We'll see you soon. Hey, hey, Math Moment Makers, as always, I hope that you gained a whole lot from this episode. It was great, not only for John and I to get to reconnect with Alana, to see all the great work that she's doing and and really to see the growth. Like, I don't know about you, John, but I can see it's like the confidence in taking Mm -hmm. the work that you love. And this is the challenge as math educators. You love the mathematics. That's why you're teaching it in the first place. But when you go and bring that to students, sometimes it's not as received as well as you might like for students. And to see all of the growth that Alana has done since three years ago when we were working with her inside the workshop and she was doing all of her learning around the growth mindset and around the curiosity path and what that might look like in post-secondary. I'm super, super geeked and super excited for her to see how things are coming along and how she continues to grow along her own teaching journey. And I think it's another amazing thing to see her not only share her learning with her students at a university, but also her teaching program at her private college there. But it is amazing to see that she's not alone in this, where people who have taken the workshop, especially after a couple of years of implementing some of, or a year after implementing some of the teaching, have not only helped kids, but they're now helping teachers Mm. help other kids. You know, Alana's doing that. She wrote a whole book on how to take her learning over the last little bit and put it into place in for proofs at say post-secondary, but she's not alone there. We've got lots of people who have reached back to us to say they're now in coaching roles. And it's due to a lot of the learning that they've been doing through our course and our other courses. And, and it's just, it's just amazing to see the community growing and mm-hmm. then re-helping the rest of the community. So yeah, I, I uh, love it, it. to and, see that here. And I think the common theme is we say it all the time, like we're constantly learning. You and I are learning through the mm-hmm. doing of this podcast, through leading the online workshops and working with the academy members and just having this ongoing conversation around teaching. And it just makes you, the different perspectives just make you think a little bit differently. So what are you going to do in order to kind of push yourself further? So first off, I would say you already have a huge feather in your cap. You listen to this episode. You're taking the time to kind of think about different perspectives you're hearing other educators, you're trying to think of, even if you're a grade three teacher and you're listening, you're saying, how does Alana's story affect me? Well, you certainly can take pieces from every single educator's story and try to weave it into your own situation, your own context. So make sure you're having those conversations as well. Go talk to a colleague, go write it down, share it on Twitter, Mm -hmm. on your blog, whatever it is that you're going to do. Or maybe you want to connect with some other Math Moment Makers over on Facebook by checking out our Math Moment Makers K-12 through group 
on Facebook or maybe on social media, Twitter, or Instagram at make mm-hmm. math moments, but whatever you do, make sure you're doing something just so that this doesn't kind of fade away like footprints in the sand. For sure. Thanks Kyle for that. In order to ensure you don't miss out on the next episode, as we release them every Monday morning, and we've been doing that for a number of years straight. Ooh. Every Monday morning, we've got an episode for you, and we are going to be doing this forever. <laughs> <laughs> You're making that uh, commitment right now. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We, I, I don't have a. I don't. We we definitely don't see an end. So keep, yeah. we're going to keep them coming to you, so you can help your students as well. But hey, hit the subscribe button. Why don't you? If this is your first episode, welcome. We hope this was a good one for you. Hit that subscribe button so you get the next one. And if you've already hit that subscribe button and you're listening to us some more, welcome back. Awesome but, uh, stuff. And uh, thanks so much for that. Absolutely. And, you know, I've got a couple links to share. You know, we've got show notes, transcripts, all of that good stuff. All the resources that we've shared in this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 176. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 176. And I do want to take a moment just to let you know that if you're listening and you would love to come on for maybe a math mentoring moment episode, we are going to be sending out another batch of emails to those who have put in that pebble in their shoe. So go and share. What's your pebble in your shoe? Head over to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. And you can share a common math class struggle and we'll bring you on. We'll have a chat about it. And I'm even going to invite some of you that might, maybe you have an idea you want to share. You know what? Use the same link. Just let us know in there. Maybe it's not a pebble. Maybe it's something that's worked for you and you just want to share it with the world. You just want to be able to have a way to share it with at least one other educator out there in the universe. Go over and head to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. We'd love to have you on. And like I said, we'll be sending another batch of invites out very shortly so that we can have a chat with you real soon. Well, until next time, my math moment maker friends, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans. But 
more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.